This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, February 18th, 2022. We'll begin, as we often do, with Michael Tilley from his office in Fort Smith. He's with Talk Business and Politics. Happy Friday, Michael. Happy Friday. Happy Chilly Friday. Yes. Boy, last night was uh, very cold. Let's, okay, I'm, I'm just going to let you explain this. We've got reports from Walmart around finances, quarterly reports. What do they tell us and what should we know? Well, they tell us, I know that, you know, some of your listeners have probably been worried over the years whether that little company in Bentonville is going to make it or not, but I think that Waltons will be able to keep the lights on for a few more years. Um, they re- reported record revenue of 500 and almost $573 billion in the year, um, and that is after taking out almost $33 billion related to sales of properties and operations in the United Kingdom uh, and Japan. So uh, very well, considering another pandemic year, um, they had record um, or they had net income of thirteen point six, almost thirteen point seven billion. Um, that's that was up one point two percent. They are seeing some margins being squeezed because of COVID-related costs, uh, inflation, labor issues. But I want to put thirteen point six billion in perspective. That's for the year. The state of Arkansas budget for the whole state is not quite seven billion. So, Walmart earned uh, almost double what the state of Arkansas budget is uh, in, tw- in their most recent fiscal year. Um, and what's going right for Walmart is really in their Walmart U.S. and in their Sam Club, Sam's Club segments. There, the U.S. Um, Stores had um, revenue record again, record revenue of 393.2 billion. That was up over six billion. Then record fourth quarter revenue uh, of 105.3 billion. That was up almost six percent compared to last year. Uh, for the year, Sam's Club had revenue of 73, almost 74 billion. That was up over 15 percent. Um, and what I think is interesting is there. Comp sales at Sam's Club were up 9.8%. And I say that's interesting because if you've historically followed them, comp sales rarely, well, I say rarely, but historically, you know, if they got up to 3 4%, that was really a good thing. So 9.8% is, is quite a bit. Their membership income rose 11.3%. Uh, and their e-commerce sales, which they weren't a large part of the company's revenue, but their e-commerce sales at Sam's Club was up 21%. So um, good year. Uh, I think the challenges um, for Walmart going forward, which they mentioned, um, a lot of this, uh, you know, Kyle, is we had a lot of stimulus money injected into the economy the last couple of years. And so what happens when some of that factors out, when these child tax credits, which have ended, um, what's that going to pull out of the available spending pool? You also have inflation, which is curbing spending, and you have ongoing labor issues. You know, the price to keep or to, to recruit and retain talent across the, is, uh, is up across the board, especially in retail. So those will be some challenges going forward for Walmart, but um, a hell of a year for the retailer. They're the one you, you can talk to any number of analysts who follow the retail sector. They'll tell you that Walmart was a handful of retailers who have been winners, so to speak, because they were well positioned to um, take advantage of the of the disruption and how 
people engaged uh, in commerce uh, because of the pandemics, because they were already set up for grocery pickup, online sales, in-store, whatever. So they've, they've benefited very well from that. Yeah, there's been some concern that we've heard over the past few years about what Amazon would do to Walmart. Uh, Walmart seems strong right now. Yes, I, I think that's but that's going to be an ongoing challenge. I mean, those are the two, you know, that's Ollie and Frazier in the ring constantly. Um, uh, we're going to see that. I think Walmart's hoping it's a Walmart plus membership package will um, be a, a, a competitive option uh, or a, an alternative for consumers up against Amazon prime and some other uh, perks that other online uh, retailers offer. Walmart's still very coy. They don't provide information on membership on that Walmart uh, plus membership plan. I think it's because it's so new and they don't, uh, you know, that's one of the things Walmart will start reporting those numbers when it's, uh, when it looks good, but in the, in the early years of getting that segment off the ground, they'll keep those numbers to themselves. I'm sure. Haas Hall doesn't have as many locations as Walmart or Sam's club, but they're growing. (laughs) They're going to have a fifth campus. This one in Fort Smith. Yes. Now we've reported on this before they announced it, but uh, what's changed is the um, Arkansas Department of Education, their charter authorizing panel has approved this campus for Fort Smith. Um, And now it has to go before the full Arkansas Board of Education. But it was a unanimous vote at the charter authorizing panel. I can't imagine that the Board of Education um, would would reject that unanimous vote. But Hall, um, if it's approved, they would begin uh, in Fort Smith, opening campus in Fort Smith in August 2023, not this fall, but the next fall. We'll have a 350 students in grades 7, 11, 7 through 11 in the first year. In the second year, they could reach uh, top enrollment of 500 students in grades 7 through 12. Um, talked to Dr. Martin Schottmeyer, uh, who's the founder and the superintendent of the schools. He said they're going to spend about $1.86 million to get that startup uh, in Fort Smith. The interesting thing, which we've talked about, Kyle, is they're going to be uh, in the third floor of the um, uh, what used to be the Golden Living Headquarters building, which the Arkansas Colleges of Health Education um, purchased, and they're putting their wellness and research facility. Um, Hossall officials are pretty excited about that because – they will have their students in a facility where uh, they can, without having to get on a bus, having to go to another campus, literally just get on an elevator or on the stairs and go take advantage of and, some, and partner with some of these programs, you know, some of the food programs, medical research. Um, and I think we all know Haas Hall is kind of a higher end. It's a college prep type high school. So um, I, I don't have kids anymore in the, high school system, but if I did, that would be something I would be excited about trying to get them, trying to get them into that environment. And as long as we're speaking about charter schools, uh, what about this one from Texas? Yes. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Premier high school. Um, it's a, it's a, uh, education company based out of Louisville, Texas, and they've got over 40 something schools in Arkansas and, uh, Texas. Kyle, they really focus. They're they're kind of the other end of Hossall, but I think they they serve a very good niche, at least from what I, I read, and from from uh, Mr. 
Dennis Felton, uh, who's the director of the schools in Arkansas, I've talked to him. Um, they reach kids who are kind of at-risk kids, kids that either have dropped out of high school or may be dropping out of high school. And they bring them into a school environment that really focuses on career education. Um, and it's and it's a lot of things. It's I know some folks may think, well, it's just, you know, auto body and welding. It's not that. It's a lot um, computer graphic technology network computer networking, nursing, um, and, and other type of medical degrees, workforce leadership, drones, how to operate drones, how to uh, manage drone operations and, and the analysis uh, that you get from drones. So, um, and, and that's just a few examples, um, but they're going to, they're going to locate, um, their plan is to locate in Fort Smith. Uh, they don't yet have an exact location, at least not one they're willing to share with us. Um, but they'll begin this fall if, if everything goes well and they get their final approval from the state board of education. They'll they'll open this fall. And again, I I think it's a great. I'm, I'm glad to see this this uh, option uh, for some students in Fort Smith. You know, I think most high school students are smarter than me. They certainly know a lot more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just yeah. hearing you talk about all these subjects. Um, yep. Finally, uh, let's throw out a figure. This isn't the billions of Walmart, but you had a story at TalkBusiness.net this week that the ongoing saga over the flags in Fort Smith and an FOI, Freedom of Information Act, case for the city has put up a bill of about $18,000 now. Yep, a, a little more than 18000 And look, I I don't want to get into the right or wrong of that the whole flag issue, but I do want to note that, and this is just one issue that where the city is gone to court over this or a Freedom of Information Act violation or whatever. And I just think we might consider that these costs, and again, 18000 is not a lot of money, but I think it's probably considerably more than this when you add up all of these cases over the past several years. But the city might be spending significantly less on this if they had an in-house attorney, which they don't. But for some reason, that's never considered. I, I, I've been following the city board for a while, and if they do consider it, they don't do it in a public way, which knowing how the city of Fort Smith operates wouldn't surprise me if they did, but just didn't make it public. But they've never considered an in-house attorney, although that works for many other cities across the state and in country, including, I believe, Fayetteville. So I don't know, just a little editorial comment there. It's, it's um, it, it would be interesting, maybe just from a good governance perspective for the city to maybe take some time to investigate the um, pros and cons of having an in-house attorney. We'll see if that happens, Michael, and, and, and we'll check back yeah, I'm with holding, you. I'm not holding for us. Yeah, I'm, yeah, we'll check back. Do that. Michael Tilly and Talk Business and Politics covering these topics and so many more at talkbusiness.net. Michael, uh, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next Friday. All right. Hey, I always enjoy it. Thank you, sir. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Little Wing Productions, presenting Little River Band in concert at the Auditorium in Eureka Springs on Saturday, May 7th. A limited number of reserved seat tickets are now available online at tickets.thundertix.com. 
This is Ozarks at Large. Last March, the Biden White House announced that nearly $2 trillion in American Rescue Plan Act funds, authorized by Congress, would be delivered to states, counties, cities, and tribal jurisdictions over several years to offset impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports on how several northwest Arkansas counties are obligating their recovery funds and how counties, cities, and the state are being held to strict expenditure compliance. The American Rescue Plan Act, ARPA for short, was enacted by Congress a year ago to facilitate recovery from the devastating economic and health effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. States, local governments, and tribal jurisdictions are receiving a total of $1.9 trillion rescue plan dollars. Arkansas' share is nearly $2.6 billion. Scott Harden, spokesperson for the Arkansas Department of Finance and administration says the funding is being delivered by the U.S. Treasury in several installments. The 75 counties, they will receive a total of $586 million. We then go down to what what are called uh, entitlement cities or those that have a population over 50,000, basically the metropolitan areas in Arkansas. Uh, Those cities, those with a population over 50,000, will receive $208 million in total in American Rescue Plan funding. And then we move down to those cities that have a population under uh, 50,000, and those cities will receive $214 million in ARPA funding. Slightly over a billion dollars. The state of Arkansas is receiving $1.57 billion with expenditures decided by a steering committee formed last summer. U.S. Treasury dispersed rescue plan money can only be spent on public health, safety, and law enforcement impacted by the pandemic, replacing lost public sector revenue at the state and local level, providing premium pay or bonuses for essential public workers, and expanding public utilities, including building out broadband, high-speed internet access, especially in rural districts. This pandemic really highlighted the fact that we need broadband and and solid broadband access in our community due to a couple of factors. One, education. We see how important broadband is in education. And we also see uh, the telehealth option. If someone's in a rural area and can't get to the doctor, but uh, the uh, telehealth is an option, then uh, that's another reason broadband is important. So you may see a lot of money spent on broadband over the next few years. Washington County will receive a total of $46 million. Last year, the Quorum Court voted unanimously to provide $4.8 million in premium pay, cash bonuses, to county employees for essential pandemic work. County jail workers are seeing a pay bonus, with as much as $10 million considered for jail facility expansion. A majority of the Quorum Court recently agreed to fund county-related expenditures and relevant public water and sewer requests. Leftover dollars, if any, will be made available to nonprofit organizations through a third-party application process. Benton County is also receiving a good chunk of American Rescue Plan funding, says Comptroller Brenda Peacock. We received $54 million, and that's, of course, we're receiving $27 million last year. We'll receive the other half this next May. Nearly $3 million was allocated to premium pay, bonuses for employees working through the worst of the pandemic in 2020. We also have done some surveys. We have um, paid several of the area uh, fire departments for matching funds to their Act 833 so they could purchase 
COVID-19 related um, protective equipment. Uh, we've had vaccination clinics, and uh, now we're going through the process of listening to people that have requested some of the funding. We have used some of it internally, of course, for our own county use, including some administrative, but very little actually compared with what you could be uh, qualified to use. The county's also considering requests for funding from NGOs, non-governmental organizations in the county. We've received uh, 57 proposals through a survey monkey that we did on our website, and those requests have totaled over $100 million in requested funding. Which is almost double the total amount of rescue plan dollars the county is receiving. NGOs must approve needs based on pandemic-related public health and economic recovery. Benton County Quorum Court is currently in the process of deciding which non-governmental organizations to fund. Carroll County is receiving $5.4 million in rescue plan funding, half issued last summer, a quarter this summer, and the rest in 2023. And then we have to have all of that money um, expensed out uh, by 2024. Carroll County Clerk Connie Doss. At the end of 2021, um, the quorum court decided that employees were very important to the continuity of county government. I mean, they're they're a county's best asset, uh, and so they they paid out premium pay uh, to to those county employees first and foremost. And honestly, that's all that they did in 2021. Rescue plan funds can be used to reimburse eligible payroll or benefits for public health, health care, human services, and public safety employees. Okay, so so that's, you know, the sheriff, sheriff's office and sheriff's deputies and detention and um, uh, uh, central dispatch. Those departments are the ones that we're just going to reimburse salaries for, okay, out of, out of the American Rescue Plan money. And by doing that, and reimbursing it to County General, it makes it unrestricted, and then we can we can do more things with it. For example, funding a $3 million central dispatch system and helping to construct a new Eastern District Court facility. Because we just don't have the space, and with, you know, and with COVID and, uh, you know, that has created some spacing problems, and, and we're growing. We're, we're a growing county. Rescue Dollars, Doss says, will also be spent on providing 100 radios to nine county fire departments. In November, state-level rescue plan dollars were awarded to the Eureka Springs Historical Museum, Berryville Saunders Museum, a county literacy foundation, and Berryville Public Library. The nonprofit Eureka Springs Christian Health Outreach, or ECHO, which serves the county's low-income and homeless population, recently requested $1.5 million rescue dollars from the county to help build affordable housing. We, we definitely want to um, be able to do the maximum amount for the maximum number of people. And, um, you know, and by looking at infrastructure of what we currently have, as opposed to the needs for a growing community, um, that is kind of what the, you know, the quorum court, the consensus seems to be at this point. Carroll County Judge Rhonda Griffin, who sat in on the interview with Connie Doss, says she aligns with her quorum court's allocations of rescue plan dollars. I'm on board with the quorum court. They are using this money to benefit the county the best way that they can. These cities and counties have time to sit and look at it and really consider the best use. 
But Scott Harden, again, with the State Department of Finance and Administration, says the American Rescue Plan Act funding must be obligated by states, counties, cities, and tribal agencies no later than December 31, 2024, and spent by December 31, 2026. And what about compliance? What we've done at the state level is we've partnered with um, a consultant that has expertise in this area. So anytime we receive a proposal for funding, before we do anything, before it moves to the committee or anyone for consideration, we send it to this consultant and say, look, please look at the, the qualifying expenditures and tell us, would this qualify? So that's, that's what we're doing at the state level. Um, on the local level, we are receiving calls from some cities and counties just looking for guidance and saying, can you um, provide some guidance on whether or not this would be an eligible project? And, and we are providing some just input there as we're asked. But ultimately, how this we're going to ensure or the state and federal government will ensure that the, the money is spent correctly is there will be audits uh, – from two different uh, directions. You'll have the audit on the state level. You'll have state-level auditors looking at it and uh, making sure that it was spent correctly. And then you'll also have, um, from the federal government, audits on the back end looking to ensure that it was spent correctly. The American Rescue Plan is also providing Arkansas Emergency Management with $4.2 million, Senior and Disability Transportation Services $1.3 million, Museum Libraries, State Arts and Humanities programs will receive $4.2 million, again to offset pandemic impacts. And state discretionary funds have also been given to boys and girls clubs, as well as shelters for women and children, Hardin says. The Arkansas Department of Human Services is also using American Rescue Plan funding for rental assistance and health care, with $47 million delivered to dozens of Arkansas community clinics that serve working, poor, and low-income families. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. This is Ozarks at Large. KUAF's collection of locally produced music shows heard on the weekend continues to grow. This month, the show Hip Hop Hello! which also airs on the Bentonville-based KOBV radio station, began airing on KUAF3. This week, we invited the host of Hip Hop Hello, Clint Schaff, who identifies on air as DJ Cleasy, to tell us about the show and to tell us why a guy who grew up in North Dakota and moved to northwest Arkansas from California a little more than a year ago creates a show here devoted to hip hop. Yeah, you know, I was moving to Northwest Arkansas and was living in California at the time. Hip hop's a big part of my identity and just like what I'm into. And it's always been how I met new people. So I knew if I set up shop here in Northwest Arkansas, it might it might uh, help me foster relationships with you know those kind of people that I want to hang out with. So I uh, started the show up in Bentonville on KOBV. Now we're um, you know here on KUAF as well. As a child, hip hop exposed me to people whose experiences in life were different from my own. And I also find hip-hop kind of hard to penetrate. Like, there's some gatekeepers, and it's hard to enter and to consider yourself hip-hop. So Hip-Hop Hello really intends to be a soft entry point for people who are hip-hop curious, who want to understand and maybe, you know, maybe they know about the culture through mass media and stuff like that, but they really want to get to know the artist and understand the, some of the, more about the culture and its values. So does that mean when you're putting together an episode of Hip-Hop Hello, you're thinking about people who are both you know, have been listening to hip-hop for perhaps a few decades and those who might be, let's say, tuning in for the first or second time? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what we're doing. I, um, I t- Even with the guests I bring on, so each week usually has, you know, roughly uh, half of the show 
is a one-hour mix themed around something happening in the world or maybe happening here in Northwest Arkansas. Like, I had a cyclocross championships-inspired hour-long mix. Um, My guest that week was Colin Strickland, who's one of the world's best-known gravel bike uh, competitors. And we went through hip-hop songs that inspire him in his training. And so... You know, he isn't he's he and I are not of, you know, classic hip hop pedigree, um, but we had a great conversation about how hip hop informs us. But then I have, um, you know, speech from the Grammy Award winning Arrested Development. And we were able to chop it up about how hip hop, you know, we and we're around the same age, how hip hop really opened our eyes to, um, uh, you know, both individually, our eyes two different uh, ways of being and how it's still driving the conversation around, you know, the kind of world we should have. So those, you know, those are two different episodes, very different in tone, but I think um, folks who are curious about hip hop or already love it um, could find themselves in either episode. I don't know your age, but I'm guessing that you don't remember a time when hip hop was not something that was available. Yeah, yeah, I guess we, you know it's like a, we're hip hop. Uh, it's like the, the, when people who grew up with the internet are digital natives. I guess we're hip hop natives. Mm-hmm. The um, yeah, in fact, when I was a little kid uh, in 1985, I was seven years old in North Dakota where I grew up, and my cousin John Pizzo and I had a rap group called the Wolverines, and we did a 60 minute tape of songs. We had a song about Teen Wolf and another one about people with big mouths, and we did a cover of a song by Roxanne uh, called "The Real Roxanne" by the Kingle Kid who passed away last year. And, um, yeah, so we were, you know, into it really early. Um, so yeah, I, I remember being new cause I remember, I remember it was before the beginning of hip hop as a kid. It was before, you know, I guess white America or my family would have not liked hip hop because it, the word wasn't even out that it was dangerous or whatever, however, had it been labeled a few years later. So it was just really exciting and fun for everyone. Um, and, and, and it continues to be that for me today. So, you know, we, hip hop is primarily music that is created by people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think about that? I mean, as you produce hip-hop, hello? Absolutely do in, in everything I do. Um, the well, I mean, the great one of the great things about hip-hop is its inclusivity. The brand of hip-hop that I subscribe to, um, as defined by the Zulu Nation, a hip-hop collective out of New York, um, is that it's around peace, unity, love, and having fun. And in the early days of hip hop, it was it was multiracial, very inclusive and diverse, mostly from the black American experience, um, other people of color, as well as there were white folks involved from the beginning. But I don't you know, this is a black art primarily. And um, so I'm conscious of that. And and the guests that we have, um, I certainly try to avoid songs that have um, I guess would have a negative impact. Um, I, you know, I don't use songs with, even though it's allowed, I think by the FCC, I don't allow like the N word mm-hmm. in my show and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah. And then I tried to, we tried to highlight uh, all kinds of great things going on in Northwest Arkansas in our community, especially in the black community. We, it's black history month right now. And we had a great guest on from the black action collective who rolled through some of the great events in town. We, um, did an episode around Dr. King, but not only highlighted great songs that name-checked Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but also um, celebrated some of the events that are happening in Northwest Arkansas. So I kind of view it as a also the show. I'll I'll display it here on KUAF, but I kind of have a secret agenda to um, to help, uh, you know, underline the fact that, in fact, black lives matter very much, and um, hip-hop is an important message to um, the excellence of black Americans and some of the challenges that uh, still exist. 
When you bring on guests, you ask them to come up with like five, six songs that have mattered to them. Yeah, exactly. When I started doing the show, um, the second hour started at 5 p.m., so I did the fresh five at 5. Now it's not at 5 anymore. But um, I, I typically have a guest come on. We pl- I, I pick a few songs either from their catalog if they're artists or songs that we relate to the work that they do. And then they share five hip-hop songs that have influenced them. That's intentionally loosely defined because it could be an artist, you know, who's bringing older songs that got them into hip-hop, or it could be songs they really like, or it could be songs that motivate them in the case of that, you know, athlete that I mentioned. And so I, 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 that's half of the fun is to see how they define influence. So you've been doing the show for about a year? Yeah, that's right. What have you learned that you didn't expect to learn in those 12 months? You know, I'm pleasant. I, I'm happy that the bet that creating a show called Hip Hop Hello would open up new relationships with people in my new home of Northwest Arkansas. And that it came through for me in ways that I never could have imagined. So I've had heads of chambers of commerce on. I've had, um, you know, all kinds of different people throughout the community that have led to new relationships for me. And I've, in fact, I've even had guests that didn't know each other, but through them being guests at different times, asynchronously meeting each other by have, being a part of that hip hop hello fraternity that we are, um, that we're developing. And so I just, I'm really excited about, you know, the power of media generally and of radio and of my show to really bring people together. All right. And now I'm going to go into a cliche and stereotype. You mentioned heads of chambers of commerce. <laughs> Have you ever had some a guest on who just didn't have five hip hop songs that they could pull? No, that's part of the um, the screening process okay. for sure. Okay. Yeah, we, we we make sure that you're down. I will say there was you know I won't I won't name a name. There was a guest I thought was going to have this great list, and then the songs were all kind of the most common. You know, I mean, it wasn't quite as much this way, but it could, it might, may as well could have been You Can't Touch This and Ice Ice Baby. You know, it mm-hmm. was like an unimpressive list, you know, subjectively. I also thought that was great because that was a reminder that, you know, what what my intention of the show was. I wanted Hip Hop Hello to be a hip hop show for everyone. So not everyone has some deep cut that was on the B side of an exclusive vinyl from 1991. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's going to be a radio hit. And I think that's great. And and I try to, I actually try to do that quite intentionally. I had my wife on as a guest once who isn't necessarily this uh, super hip hop head. And um, she had, you know, all these great kind of clubby jams with a romantic bent to them with R&B guest stars on it. And it was a great episode because those are great songs. And it was something that maybe is underrepresented in my palette. And so I, that's one of the best things. I, I'm, I'm always going back to old classics that I remember or um, learning about brand new music or, you know, sometimes hearing stuff that wasn't classic to me, but it's just someone else. And I really enjoy that. Someone comes in with a Cab Calloway track that goes? Oh, yeah, especially if they're a hip-hop artist and Cab Calloway inspired the music. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, one of my, probably my first nationally somewhat well-known artist was a rapper by the name of Old Man Saxon. You might know him from a Netflix show called Rhythm and Flow. He was on this competition mm. show. And he defines his persona as half Cab Calloway. So I believe we, we, talked, we definitely talked about Cab Calloway, maybe even played him. I'm not going to ask you to list yours, but have you thought if the tables were turned and someone asked you about five would, would you have a go-to list? Uh, yeah, definitely. It might change based on the day. But there's a couple mainstays that would be there any day. Um, I, I actually did interview myself on my birthday nice. uh, last year. And uh, my go-to track of all time is LL Cool J's Mama Said Knock You Out. Oh, yeah. Um, that's, my, that's my track. It's also my karaoke jam. 
And um, and then you know I, I try not to I try to discourage my guests from having two songs from the same artist on their list just to mix it up. But the combination of Mama Said Knock You Out and Around the Way Girl off of that album is the best, um, the widest set of outcomes from one artist and an album that I know of in hip hop, I think, to create a classic a love jam and Around the Way Girl and then the ferociousness of Mama Said Knock You Out on the same album for not to feel disjointed is a feat in and of itself. And now you're still on in Bentonville, but now you're on KUAF3. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. Right. Yeah, yeah, we're loving it. We just jumped on uh, recently. We had a great guest on our first show here on KUAF. Her name's Havaya Mighty, a really ferocious MC that really came up. Um, she did a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a, uh, a cipher for International Women's Day a few years that went viral. And she's an amazing artist. And we had a local artist from Springdale on uh, this week um, named Eddie Canyon. And we're going to keep bringing national and local artists and community members and the music that they love and that inspires them to listeners at KUAF. DJ Cleasy, Clinch Hoff, is the local host of Hip Hop Hello, now heard both on KOBV in Bentonville and every Saturday afternoon from 4 to 6 on KUAF3. You can listen to all of the programs on KUAF3 on your HD radio at KUAF.com by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF3 and by using our free KUAF app. All of those methods, by the way, also will connect you to KUAF2, our 24-hour-a-day classical music station. Clint came to the Carver Center for Public Radio earlier this week. The Walmart Amp in Rogers welcomes Marvel Studios' Black Panther, Friday, April 15th. This screening will feature the complete film with musical score performed live by members of Sona, conducted by Anthony Panther. Tickets are now available at amptickets.com or 443-5600. This is a Friday edition of Ozarks at Large, and like most Fridays, I'm happy to say Becca Martin-Brown, the features editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, is with us from her Bella Vista office. Hello, Becca. Hi, Kyle. You never know whether the dogs are going to join in, so I'll just apologize before we start. No apology necessary. They don't care anything about genealogy, but I'm going to ask you if you do. I care about it. I haven't really um, done much about it, but I'm interested in it. We tried way back in the day before computers. A cousin and I tried to do ours because my maiden name is Bacon, which you remember, and allegedly, we can trace our genealogy back to Sir Francis Bacon, go. who got a land grant in the New World and gave it to his nephews who came here, and here we are. Wow. Who knows if that's true? But if you're interested in that sort of thing, the Fayetteville Public Library has got you covered this month. They have been doing some genealogy programs throughout the month. But on February 26th, they have four Zoom stations with a lovely lady named Judy Russell, who is called the Legal Genealogist. Ooh, I like that title. She's a lawyer, obviously. Has a bachelor's degree from George Washington University, a law degree from Rutgers. And before she retired, worked as a newspaper reporter. So she gets it. Yeah. And her four topics are... No vitals, no problem, building a family through circumstantial evidence. Mm. Because tracing women who married before the 1850 census is really complicated because they weren't listed by name before the 1850 census. Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) 
after the courthouse burns, rekindling family history through DNA. And she says, particularly in the South, there was catastrophic records loss due to the Civil War, due to natural disasters like hurricanes. And so there are other ways to look for ancestral roots using DNA. The third one is deemed a runaway, Black Laws of the North, which is how the Black Laws in northern states created valuable records for tracing African-American families. These all sound interesting. They really, And she was fascinating. And the last one is where there is or isn't a will. And she says probate records are juicy sources of details about our ancestors. And understanding the probate process can help you get where you want to go in your research. Of course. These stations all begin at 9 a.m. on the 26th at the Fayetteville Public Library via Zoom. You have to register for each one separately. You can register at faylib.org. And if you're interested in her and want to read more about her, her website is legalgenealogist.com. And you said these are virtual. Yes, these are virtual. Nice. Live and in person, though, the University Theater is doing a show that I'm kind of fascinated by called The Moors. I'll tell you this. I love the poster they produced for it. Isn't it cool? It is. The playwright is Jen Silverman. And the concept is two maiden sisters, like the Bronte sisters, who live on the moor. And someone new comes into their world and changes everything. But there's also a dog and a moor hen. A what now? A moor hen? A moor hen. And like a bird? I believe these are played by people. I believe so. Okay. So, yeah, I'm interested. And the concept is that, well, basically, Jen Silverman, the playwright, says, this is a very funny play about a very savage subject, jealousy and its inherent depravity. Oh. So, interesting. 7.30 today and tomorrow, 2 on Sunday. That's it. If you miss it, you did. <laughs> it's uh, at University Theater on the UA campus in Fayetteville, and it's free, but you need to make reservations. It's free? At uark.universitytickets. Yes. Yeah. Okay. uark.universitytickets.com. This is a weekend where I can't be anywhere, everywhere I want to be. It's just <laughs> not possible. There's a show tomorrow night at the Walton Art Center I would love to see. It's a musical group called American Patchwork Quartet. Oh, yes. And they do the classic American songs like Shenandoah. What makes it fascinating is that the vocalist, Falou Shaw, was raised in Bombay. The guitarist and vocalist, Clay Ross, is from South Carolina. The drummer, Clarence Penn, was born in Detroit, and the bassist, Yasushi Nakamura was born in Tokyo and trained at the Berkeley School of Music in Juilliard. And if you go and listen to them on YouTube and hear this 
amazing Indian vocalist who's a Grammy-nominated vocalist singing Shenandoah. It's just transcendent. It really is. And I'm not a musical person. So 7.30 tomorrow night, Star Theater at Walton Arts Center, $33. Go find out if there's tickets. And then, oh, then, then there's a musical on stage at Arkansas Public Theater in Rogers. It's called Something Rotten. It's set in the Renaissance, kind of, and it's hilarious. The whole premise is, you know, Shakespeare's the rock star. There's these brothers who are playwrights who are trying to make a hit. And so they go ask Nostradamus what the next big thing is going to be in theater. And he says, a musical. You can catch the show at 8 o'clock today and tomorrow, 2 o'clock on Sunday, and again next weekend. Tickets start at $25 at Arkansas Public Theater at the Victory in downtown Rogers. There's also an art show up that is heraldic bags and banners to go with the theme. And then there's all these other things. Smoke on the Mountain wraps up this weekend in Fort Smith at Fort Smith Little Theater. And there's another show at Crystal Bridges Saturday night called An Evening with a Freedom Rider. Mm. Charles Person, who was one of the original Freedom Riders who set out in 1961 to protest segregation and discrimination against black Americans in the South. 5.30 on Saturday in the Great Hall and via live stream. And you can find out more about that at crystalbridges.org. Like you said, a packed weekend. But you can check out today's sub page in the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette and see the calendars and maybe that will help you sort it out or check out what's up on Sunday and plan for next weekend. Good luck. Godspeed. Becca Martin-Brown is features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Thank you, Becca. It's the Community Spotlight on KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. Today, I'm joined over the phone by Obed Lamy, director of the documentary Once Forgotten. This tells the story of three men who were lynched in the summer of 1856, two by a mob, the other by the state of Arkansas. They were accused of murdering a white slave owner. Obed, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Pete. For the better part of 170 years, I'm guessing this story was only told from one side. Um, kind of describe how this all came about. As you said, for more than 170 years, the story has been told from the perspective of the white community or the white family. And the voices of the black community has been silent. Essentially, we tried to reframe that story and also to put it in a bigger context um, about, you know, racial violence and racism and, you know, truth-telling in American history. My goal was to really bring, you know, back to life that story, and especially the Black version of the story. Now, it's up to the community here in Northwest Arkansas that is a mix of different group of people from different backgrounds to think about it, to process it, and see how they can move forward from that. Obed Lamy, director of the documentary Once Forgotten. We're also joined with Diana Dominguez, multicultural community liaison with the Fayetteville Public Library. 
This is going to start at 2 and it will end at 3.30. And actually, after that program, we have extended an opportunity to the local chapter of the NAACP, as well as the Washington County Remembrance Project. They will have a table outside of the event center. So for those that um, have registered and plan to attend, there's an opportunity even after the program to engage with folks that worked on the program and then an opportunity to talk about how to, how to support Black and African Americans here locally in Northwest Arkansas. Diana Dominguez, Multicultural Community Liaison with the Fayetteville Public Library, and we've also been speaking with Obed Lamy, director of the documentary Once Forgotten. That will be screened this Saturday at the Fayetteville Public Library. Thank you all for letting us know about this, and I hope we can get a, uh, a good crowd to see this. Thank you so much, Pete. Thank you very much. This is Ozarks at Large. With me via Zoom is Courtney Lanning. That means we're going to be talking about a new movie. Courtney, welcome back to the show. Kyle, thanks for having me. I don't keep statistics. I mean, I do, but I don't keep them, you know, specifically. I think we've talked about movies you've liked for three or four weeks in a row. Right. It's it's been a pretty good run as far as movies that I've enjoyed. Yeah. Insert record scratch sound effect because <laughs> uh, that streak ends today. It does, and uh, it's it's a frustrating way to watch a streak end, Kyle. Let me tell you. All right, the movie is Dog, and I told you last week that I was interested because I'd seen a trailer for this, a commercial, and it looked like it could go one of two ways. It could be very funny, or it could go off the rails. And it sounds like it doesn't just go off the rails; it goes off the rails in a in a bad way. Right. Very. Very disappointing, bad way. All right, the name so, of the movie is Dog. So let's tell us about it. Right. So Dog, as it's simply titled, uh, stars Channing Tatum, who plays uh, a veteran who is trying to get back into active duty, uh, but he can't because he's got some serious medical issues. He can get all of that cleared up if he gets the right people to make a phone call for him, but he can't seem to find anybody to make that right phone call. So finally, one of his commanding officers agrees to make the phone call if he will transport a service dog to the funeral of her former handler who has died. The only problem is this service dog is a Belgian Malinois. I never pronounced that right. (laughs) Uh, It's a Belgian shepherd and suffers intense PTSD. This is a psychologically scarred dog. Mm. So the whole movie is Channing Tatum transporting this dog down the West Coast to Arizona to a, to a, her former handler, handler's funeral. And this should have been a slam dunk of a movie, Kyle. Two hurt veterans that learned to trust each other and bond based on shared trauma. Right. And that didn't happen because Channing Tatum's character is too busy being an irredeemable jerk for almost the entire film. It, it was an absolute mistake pairing this psychologically scarred service dog with a man who had no training to transport such an animal across the country. And, you know, Tatum, at every chance he gets, he's yelling at the dog, he's abandoning the dog, and he just generally mistreats her. It's a shame. You know, I have a dog, uh, uh, Daisy, who I don't know her complete history, but she deals with trauma, and, and she is scared of many things. And I cannot imagine having an animal that is suffered trauma that you would yell at. Yeah, I know. Um, and yet he does, you know, they, they warn him. This is an animal that has put three handlers in the emergency room. 
Mm. Uh, they keep her muzzled. And you would think they would not allow this animal to be taken by anybody unless they have very specific guidance training for working with herd animals. Um, and they just give her to Channing Tatum, and he, he doesn't do well. And I'll tell you, I like Channing Tatum. He's a, he's a charismatic actor, and I think I like him in most things I've seen him in. No, you're right. He has good acting chops, which surprises me uh, that he just wasn't a good fit for this movie. He looks the part of a soldier, mm -hmm. um, but I, I just don't think this was the right role for him. I feel like this movie would have been better served if they had cast somebody like Jake Gyllenhaal or Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, I can see Mark Wahlberg in that. <laughs> I haven't even seen the film, and I can imagine him in that role. Well, it's got an animal. You know how I feel. I want happy endings in any movie that has animal, you know, essential to the to the narrative. How do we end? I mean, is it okay? I'll tell you that the last few scenes finally come together nicely. And, you know, somewhere in the last 10 to 15 minutes, Tatum finally seems to find his second wind or his pacing because finally he becomes a character that you can appreciate seeing. And you wonder, where's this guy been the whole movie? Mm. Um, but, you know, most of the movie is spent making him an, an absolute trash human. Mm. Uh, at one point, there's this infuriating scene, uh, and it's especially infuriating because I've got a good friend who has a diabetic service dog and knows some of the challenges that she has to face with this animal. And he pretends to be blind and uses the service dog to pretend to be a seeing eye dog in order to get a free hotel room and free room service. And it's just despicable. Mm. You, you can't take a scene like that, that I assume was intended to be funny and show it to people and have them think, ah, oh, this is a good person. Mm. I, I like this person. I can root for this person. So it's, it's generally just an awful movie. <laughs> okay. Well, this isn't even one of those that I want to see, you know, it's so bad. It's so good. I'm just going to pass on this. I don't blame you one bit. I wish I could have passed on it, too. <laughs> That's your job, though, Courtney. That's your job. That's true. This is my job. <laughs> All right. Uh, what do we, we're beginning to come out of the, 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 the major studio slumber. Some big movies are beginning to hit theaters. Any this week? Yes. Yeah, so the big blockbuster this week is Uncharted, which is based on a very popular video game series. Uh, it's about a group of thieves who travel the world and, and try to steal treasure. Uh, this one does star Mark Wahlberg, whom we were just talking about earlier. And of course, one of our favorite actors, Tom Holland. Well, I hope for Tom Holland's sake, he has a hit this time. I hope so too. I think you and I both know he is not bulletproof. We both right. saw Cherry. Oh yeah. And uh, we know it's possible for him to be in a, a stinker of a movie. He, uh, but we should say he's in like four of the top seven grossing movies of all time as Spider-Man. That's true. Yeah. You're right. What will we talk about next week? Next week, I hope to review a new movie that's coming out to Hulu. Uh, it's a, I think it's a psychological thriller. It's called No Exit. Okay. It sounds, um, it sounds confining and it sounds claustrophobic. That's true. I, I think that's the, the mood they were going for with that title. I will let you watch it and tell me about it. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Courtney Lanning's full review of Dog can be found in the Friday edition of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney, as always, I appreciate your time. Kyle, thanks for having me. 
The Idle Class magazine presents the 2022 Black Apple Art Awards, Friday, March 25th at 2.14 in downtown Springdale. Nominations and open voting are now available at idleclassmag.com slash blackapple2022. KUAF is supported by Little Wing Productions, presenting Little River Band in concert at the Auditorium in Eureka Springs on Saturday, May 7th. A limited number of reserved seat tickets are now available online at tickets.thundertix.com. We're going to be with you again Monday at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF for a brand new edition of Ozarks at Large. Among the pieces we'll bring you on Monday's show... We're going to talk to Aaron Turner. He's a teaching assistant professor at the University of Arkansas's School of Art. And his collection of photographs titled Yesterday Once More, currently in Walton Art Center's Joy Pratt Markham Gallery. Our conversation with Aaron Turner, plus a brand new collection of archives from the Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History and more on a Monday edition of Ozarks at Large. That's at noon and 7 on KUAF 91.3. And really, you can listen to Ozarks at Large whenever you want because we have a podcast. It's available for free through all major podcast distributors. You can also check out our website, ozarksatlarge.com. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Siloam Springs. You can hear us by going to KUAF.com, by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF or specifically Ozarks at Large, and you can always use the free KUAF app wherever you are. Timothy Dennis produced today's show inside the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio. Contributors on our show this Friday included Jacqueline Froelich, Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics, Becca Martin-Brown, who is the Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and Courtney Lanning. The Community Spotlight is produced by KUAF's Pete Hartman in the Nancy Blair Operations Studio. You can hear brand new editions of the Community Spotlight every weekday morning at 6.30 and 8.30. Also every weekday morning at 5.30 and 7.30, newscasts containing news from around our state and region with Daniel Carruth. That's every morning, inside morning edition at 5.30 and 7.30. All right, back with you Sunday morning at 9 for Weekend Ozarks at Large. Back Monday with a brand new daily dose of our show from the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. Thanks for listening. I'm Kyle Kellums.